welcome to another episode of the Autism Podcast. My name is Dr. Chris Papadopoulos and I'm the lead of the London Autism Group charity and co-host of this podcast. Today's episode is the audio from another of our charity live stream episodes that we've been doing every week on our charity Facebook page. As I mentioned in the intro of the last episode, the charity are producing these live streams primarily in order to support the mental health and well-being of the autistic and wider autism community during the coronavirus pandemic. In this episode, we spoke with Kieran Rose, also known as the Autistic Advocate, about some of the main challenges the autistic and wider autism community will be experiencing in relation to mental health and COVID-19. We also talk about how to cope and reduce anxiety, the intersections between these challenges and the wider socio-cultural stigmatizing narratives about autism and the importance of recognizing the opportunities for social and cultural learning and change that the current social circumstances provide. We also answered a range of very interesting questions from the audience. Kieran Rose is a writer, international public speaker and former educationalist whose blog, theautisticadvocate.com, has been read by over one million people. Kieran delivers his own specialist autism training and consults for multiple organisations. He's the founder and chair of the Autistic Cooperative, which is an international network and lobbying group for autistic professionals. And he is also the managing director of the social enterprise Infinite Autism, which supports autistic people and families through funded partnership working. Kieran has also recently become an executive board member of SLP Neurodiversity Collective, a US-based non-profit international network and lobbying organization of neurodiverse positive speech and language therapists and occupational therapists. He was diagnosed as autistic in 2003 and is married with three children, two of whom are also diagnosed autistic. Thanks for listening to this intro, and now I bring you the live stream, a talk with Kieran Rose. Right, so uh, welcome to the latest episode of the live streams that we're doing through the London Autism Group charity. Uh, this is episode four. We've already talked with Lola Alvarez Romano, uh, Isil Dennis, and Robert White. And the, the entire theme has been about mental health and about helping the community uh, to cope better in these very uncertain times. And today we're very, very honoured to have the one and only Kieran Rose, uh, who's uh, giving up, you know, some, some of his time to talk with us and uh, ho- hopefully we'll, you know, get, get into some interesting conversations and uh, hopefully this is going to be useful for, for someone listening. Um, so thanks, thanks so much, uh, Kieran, for joining Thank us. You. Thank you for having me. It's a it's a pleasure. Um, I've been watching from a distance, so uh, I know how, how useful these these uh, videos are going to be for so many people. So it's just a, it's an honour to be here, to be honest. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. And as usual, hello to you as well, James Gordon. How are you, James? Hello. Well, yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to be here as well. <laughs> Great, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too, me too. So, Kieran, yeah, um, do you want to just maybe introduce yourself to, uh, you know, the listeners, uh, you know, so tell us a little bit about, you know, the work, that you, the amazing work that you do and, <laughs> and, and uh, give us a brief. Obviously, you know, if you give if you give the full range of things that you do, a very abridged summarized version. 
Sure. Um, fundamentally, at the heart of it, I'm a writer. Um, I started writing properly about autism and about myself um, about four or five years ago. And um, uh, and it was a cathartic kind of thing after my dad died um, that my wife just sort of said, you know, get it out. You love writing, so just start talking about autism, which is really where, you know, I've been on a really long journey, 20-odd years of discovery. Um, so, uh, so I started writing, and... Um, a million people later, more than a million now. It's it's kind of it terrifies me that number, but um, people are reading, and uh, so I've gone on to do. <laughs> I go on to do training and um, consultancy, public speaking, um, quite a varied. Like my day, every day is different, and uh, working with a lot of really really good organisations, lots of challenging organisations as well that are trying to change their ways. And so yeah, so just a lot of varied mix. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Well, thank you for everything that you do and the amazing difference that you're making. Um, so, yeah, today, as I said, we're going to talk about mental health, self-care. Um, so how have you been doing, Kieran, in terms of coping with the whole situation, your family, your your, your children? How has it been on your side? Um, it's bizarre. I can't put it any, any other word than that, I think. This is probably one of the weirdest situations that I've ever lived through. Um, I don't, there's, there's not, I can't think of anything that would even compare to it, to be honest. Um, and I mean, we were saying off camera just before, it's kind of like every day is a bit like walking a tightrope of kind of keeping your mental health within a perhaps like a set parameters of not too bad and not too good kind of thing. Cause it would be so easy to kind of become quite bipolar about it and really swing one way or the other. Um, Mm. and it's just a kind of, there's so much uncertainty right now and you know everybody has lost control of their everyday lives and all of the normal in inverted commas things that they will be doing um, normal for them at least and you know it's just it's so odd it's just bizarre I keep coming back to that word I use that word all the time now bizarre yeah well it is a good word to describe (laughs) (laughs) totally unprecedented yeah um I mean it is like we're living in a movie isn't it it's it's Mm. Eerily similar to that movie Contagion, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it, it's you know it's something else I've been talking about a lot recently as well. We've kind of we've been flooded with kind of end of the world films and TV series for about the last fifteen twenty years. You know, zombie films and apocalypse films and things like that. And you can't help but look out your window and expect to see a zombie shuffling past or something. You know, it, it's <laughs> it, but it really does feel that eerie and quite mm. creepy. Yeah, things. And really even go, even going to the shop is is a just such an odd and unsettling experience now and it's everybody's for you know you would think from a from a very stereotypical point of view you would think that autistic people would be loving this because people are keeping their distance and all of that kind mm-hmm. of thing but but there's no connectivity now and it's everyone's keeping their distance in a sinister kind of way and it's it's just weird it's bizarre i'm gonna keep saying that it's bizarre yeah yeah, yeah. it's weird isn't it because you're right in that um, you know, people are are very ice in a, in a way. Obviously, we're doing social distancing, so mm. we're we've, we're physically very distant, and we see that. You know, when I go for walks or when I do go shopping or whatever it is I'm doing, and I and I I'm part of that distancing. You know, I'm not, and and that feels very strange and very real, and makes me feel, you know, uneasy. Mm. But at the same time. It, I, I've been almost also feeling, you know, that we're all sort of serving a purpose. You know, it's it's all sort of we're all sort of trying our best to to follow the the, the, the rules or the the advice that we've been given. 
and try to almost support each other in a in a greater good in this bizarre world that we're in yeah and that's given me some some solace actually you know the recognition that actually you know most people not all but most people are you know um are are trying their best and they're and they're contributing to a, a greater good and i just feel like that actually can sometimes be good for mental health when you when you recognize that you know yeah yeah absolutely you know, I think it um, it's encouraging people to kind of look outside of themselves because, I mean, the whole point of social distancing is not only so that we don't personally catch COVID-19, but so that we don't pass it on to other people mm. if, we, if unwittingly we do have it. Um, and I think that's, make, that's forcing people who maybe previously didn't think about other people to actually start thinking about yeah. their impact on other people and how we interact with other people and those kind of things. And, and from the point of view from the autistic community as well, I think this has been quite eye-opening for a lot of non-autistic people in terms of what it feels to be kind of forced to be isolated and to be excluded and all of those kind of analogies that we talk about and James and I talk about all the time those things are happening now to people who haven't normally experienced those things. So I think mm. it's a, it, there, there, there's, there's, there is so much to worry about right now, but there is so much opportunity here as well. And I think that's, mm. that's really important to cling on to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it almost feel, it feels like a historic opportunity. Um, like after the war ended, there was that kind of a sort of rebirth and a rebuilding of everything. And, they had the uh, National Health Service come in, yeah. massive investment and things like that. And I, I'm hoping that's what's going to happen, you know, that all these uh, frontline workers that have been underpaid for so long are going to be recognised and hopefully rewarded. And I hope that it, as part of that, um, all everything will be looked at again, you know, um, you know, um, uh, we spoke to um, some, uh, someone from the nursing profession recently um, who's formed a group called uh, Neurodiverse Nurses. And um, that was really inspiring, the, the kind of organization that they're setting up. Mm -hmm. um, they were setting up even before this, but um, it's very encouraging to kind of see what they're doing. Um, and hopefully that will filter through to for better training uh, under the mandatory training for yep. autism that, that the health is going to get, going to have. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they'll have a, a much greater imp uh, sort of input than I thought from autistic people within the health service itself. Absolutely. Um, so that's encouraging. There's some yep. encouraging signs. And, and as you say, there, this is a, a sort of great opportunity uh, and we have to sort of take it, I think, you know, I think this is a kind of time where, I mean, it's been, <laughs> we'll use it again, it's bizarre, um, seeing kind of conservative MPs talking about socialist principles and values mm. and, and not communism before anybody kind of leaps on that. But, you know, yeah. the, the, those, those kind of principles about it not being about you personally, it being about the wider community, which is more important than you as an individual mm. um, and about everybody kind of using their strengths towards that. And that's a prime example. I mean, what happening is now is now happening within the NHS care services, people working in kind of um, 
food shops and, and supermarkets and things like that, they've now being highlighted as the most important people in the country, more important than politicians, more important than the army or the police. You know, these, these are the people that are now keeping us going and have been all this time, but it was just hidden under a cloud of everybody else is more important. Um, so I think if that remains, if that focus remains on those groups, it can only be to the benefit of the, the country and the world as a whole, really, I think is we, we, we needed social change. We've needed it for a long time. There needed to be a bit of a social resolution. Um, and I think if something positive can come out of all this awfulness, it could be that or it should be that at least. Yeah, absolutely. Fully agree. That's such a good point. Hopefully we'll never, ever take for granted the crucial roles these people play, yeah. in, mm -hmm. you know, underpinning the, the, you know, our society, the running of it, you know, these are crucial, crucial people. And it's just great that, that we're, we're rec beginning to recognize that even those people, those conservative MPs, the more right wing people, you know, the, the ones that perhaps don't, you know, or whoever it is that may, may not have really sort of appreciated them as much yeah. uh, before. Um, it just seems across the board there's much more recognition that's, mm. and that hopefully you're right that we can carry that carry that through. Uh, Mark uh, Chilvers, how are you doing Mark? Um, you have uh, put a comment there, a question, you say, um, what's a comment? You put there, you can't go off, you can't go out to blow off steam, which is an issue. Um, it definitely is. Any, any thoughts on that Kieran? Um, it is. I mean, especially, I mean, I'm super privileged. I live up in the northeast of England. Um, I have a house with a garden, you know, so not only am I able to go out and it's not a huge garden, but I'm able to step outside and take my children outside. I'm literally surrounded by houses that only have yards. Um, so their outdoor space is like a concrete driveway. That's, that's effectively it. So for the children living in those houses and the families living there, they've got, you know, they're so restricted on what they can do. And then for the people living in the cities, obviously, who might not necessarily have gardens, they might live in flats, um, especially around London and the bigger cities, you know, it's, I can't even begin to imagine what I would be feeling right now if I didn't have my tiny bit of green outside space. Um, and, you know, kudos to anyone that is stuck in a flat during yeah. this right now and can't get out or you know might have a tiny balcony to stand out and look at and but even then you're looking at a sea of concrete it's not like you're looking at i can go out and hang out of my loft window and and see green and other people haven't got that and it's it's just really hard i mean the only the only thing that i can th say is that again i'm having so many conversations like this at the moment a friend of mine was telling me that you know their whole family they they do karate or they did karate before they all went as a family and did karate classes and now they're doing them over zoom over the internet um from their kitchen which is really quite restricted um so we were talking about the fact that it's really really good to try and cling on to some of the things that you did previously if you can replicate them in your house but also there is opportunity here to find new ways of doing things as well or new things to do um, in terms of if you, if you can't replicate something you did before, then maybe you've just got to put it down and put it aside, come back to it when all this is over, but find something else that's going to fill that. Um, and getting out is obviously a major thing that we're all restricted in doing, but we do, we are allowed out for periods of the day. The police in England have made statements to say that autistic people, if we can get some kind of proof backing up from a doctor's surgery or somewhere, if you can, 
a third party to say that we do need to go out and have extra time outdoors, then we can have that and we can have that time and we can have that evidence to show the police if you can get it, obviously, which is again, is a privileged thing. But, um, so it isn't like we are being locked in our houses like they currently are in places in Italy at the moment. So we still do have a little bit of freedom, but then you have to balance that with our anxiety over it as well, because it is creepy outside. It is unsettling to be out there. And even if I go and put my rubbish in like the outdoor bins and things, it feels weird to go out and do that when it's so quiet and, and all you can hear is sirens and things at the moment and ambulances and police cars and, it's just such a bizarre time to be in, but we have to cling on to those things that make us feel good. And that's, if that means having to do it, something indoors that you wouldn't normally do indoors, then you're just going to have to roll with it. I mean, it's, there's no answers, is there? That's the worst thing. We can't just say yes, do this or do that because it's impossible for so many people, but we just have to find the things that make our hearts sing and do it in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Fully agree. I do. I'm, I mean, I just, just you know want to you know reinforce what you're saying that obviously it is much harder now than it previously was but but we do have some control still Mm -hmm. you know i mean we we have you know one thing obviously a lot of people talk about mindfulness uh and you know uh, uh you know that that's that's something that i think can play a big role here in that we have some control in the moment, in, in the day that we're living today. Yesterday is gone, and tomorrow who knows what's going to happen. But yeah. today we have some control. So if you can find, as you were saying, you know, um, uh, some control in your current moment, your current, you know, next few hours even, to do something that makes you happy, as you, as you sort of lovely, beautifully said, you know, make your heart sing, you know, whatever it is, um, then, you know, try to do it don't don't think don't i wouldn't recommend catastrophizing saying okay well i can't control anything you know this is a complete disaster because that obviously that's easy to do and that's reasonable you know it's reasonable to think mm-hmm. under these circumstances. but if you can try to i would say self-talk yourself out of it you know try and apply some mindfulness be aware of the moment be aware that, that you do have some control and 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 do something that's going to make you happy and and it may not even be doing something it could be just talking i would say you know and now's the time to be communicating talking you know whether it's with your family in in your home or whether it's via zoom or 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 whatsapp whatever it is now's the time for us to really be talking to each other and, and supporting each other right um so I, I, I do think there are some things, but obviously it's much harder. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, I was, uh, my wife and I were having a conversation earlier today and we were actually talking about the fact that she has had so much more contact with friends since this has happened than she was yeah. since she did previously. So, you know, there we've got friends that live up in Scotland that she might talk to once or twice a year, but now she's talking all the time with them because she has the time to do that. And it, it, it's kind of, it's, it's a really good time to reconnect with people that maybe that you've kind of let go. I mean, the, the benefit of this in a way for the autistic community is that we've been preparing for uh, communicating online for a very, very long time, you know, mm-hmm. Most of us have friends all over the world that we talk to every day and, you know, people that we'll probably never, ever meet and, you know, it will probably never happen, but we talk to and have deep personal conversations with every single day. Um, and that's that's kind of, that that's uh, that's like a, an, an arrow in our quiver kind of thing in terms of battling this at the moment. And I think other people need to take the opportunity to kind of 
use the the social media platforms that we have, which most people use but despise using all the time because it takes over our lives. But actually, now it's an opportunity for good. Um, it's it's going to keep people mentally healthy to keep conversing with other people, and that's what needs to happen now. Yeah, fully agree. Um, I sort of just want to thank you, James, for bringing up how NHS workers are underrated and underpaid. I fully agree. Fully yeah. agree. Yeah. So thanks for that. Uh, we've also got another comment here from Lily Van Verdriet. Uh, she says these times are challenging, but there is one positive thing. I live full time in a in a van, pretty isolated from the world. Usually people look down to me, but now even the police comes to me and is friendly and even acknowledge how good this is, especially in these times. Uh, for the first time, I get recognized in a positive way, and a lot of people ask me how I handle to live so isolated. I never thought that I can give advice to others. And this, is, this sort of reinforces what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a whole irony here now that the people that have been excluded and isolated by society, society is now coming to us for the answers. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's the most ironic thing, um, but it's happening. You see it happening. It's kind of, I'm involved in quite a lot of running quite a lot of kind of Facebook support groups and things. And the amount of comments that, you know, are replicating what Lily said there, that people are coming to them and asking them how they've coped for so long. And it's, but the thing for I would hope that the non-autistic communities would take from this and, the you know, people who have been privileged to have houses and all of these kind of things, that they would take from this that this is a short-term thing for them. But for some people, this is, this is our lives. This is our every single day. And what you're feeling right now as a kind of as a, an intermission in your life, hugely negative, hugely overwhelmed, hugely anxious. All of these things are day-to-day -day living for some people. So I think if anybody's going to take any lessons from this, I would hope that it would be that you need to think a little bit more about the other people in the world and other people's situations and how you can help them and support them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, um, just looking at my own situation with my son, uh, I'm a single parent and uh, my son is autistic, but he's also um, got a form of epilepsy where he's very sensitive to body temperature changes. Mm -hmm. So uh, he used to love the outdoors, uh, the sunshine, and for the last couple of years, he hasn't been able to go out over the summer. It's too hot, and he'll just have seizures all the time. Yeah. So we're kind of trapped over the summer anyway. So um, isolating like this is nothing new to us, you know. No. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, I, I sort of agree exactly what, what you just said, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's nice. It's nice Lily is finding something positive as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 But not not just the fact that it's happened, but I think it's also worth saying that Lily sort of identified it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And processed mm -hmm. it. And I, I'd recommend that to, to everybody as well, you know, to, to sort of reflect on what's going on and uh, find some some uh, some something rewarding from that, something mm -hmm. positive. Mm -hmm. Um okay, we've got another uh, comment here from Laurel Dudbridge. People are asking me how to do social without seeing people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and I guess that's just reinforcing what we've just said, isn't it? And what Lily said, and it, it's that people are now coming to the people who have been isolated for the answers, and it's and there is no easy answer for this as well because it's not like so many of us have had a choice in our isolation uh, before this, prior to this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there it's quite often enforced situations, um, like James said with his son, or you know, other things going on that have mental health issues that have forced people to kind of withdraw, have to withdraw to keep themselves safe. Um, and it, there is this, this, this huge sense of irony. It's just, it's, it's actually astounding me how many people are kind of like, Oh my God, you've been doing this for years. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's yes, we have, um, this is nothing new to it. It doesn't make it any easier for us, but it's nothing new because although for many of us, our situations haven't changed, the choice has been removed. And that's that's the thing now. This is this is kind of like I'm kind of guessing. I've never been to prison, but I'm kind of guessing this is this is some ways towards how that feels to kind of have all your liberties taken away, and have them removed from you, kind of thing. And and where you know they would have very very little control over their day to day lives. We still do have some, like you said before. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that and and recognise that. Yeah, I think we're very privileged to have the internet. Yeah, I was thinking. I'm 45 now. I was thinking back when I was a teenager, there was no internet, mm-hmm. you know, um, so it was much more isolating than it is now mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, we've got Facebook, we've got all these Facebook groups where we can interact with hundreds and thousands of different people. We can find our own tribe and we can, you know, reach out to people and uh, connect, you know, and that just wasn't a thing uh, yeah. back when I was younger. So we are so lucky, you know. I think this is a really good opportunity to, to reflect as well on what the parts of our lives that maybe we weren't happy with and comfortable with and what we can do to take some control over those parts as well. Mm. Um, I think the world is going to be a very different place after this. I think we're all going to, I mean, initially, obviously, I don't think we're all going to be, they're not going to drop, drop the flag and say, everybody leave your house now kind of thing. It's going to happen in stages over mm. a very long months, if not longer. Um, and I think it's an opportunity to kind of say, well, what am I not happy with? How can I change things? What am I doing now that makes me happy? What can, there's so many parents coming to me saying, you know, I wish we'd homeschooled a lot, lot, lot longer ago um, because their children, you know, particularly for autistic children that have been struggling in schools, all of a sudden I have so many parents coming to me saying, my child's happy. It's like, yes, wonder why that might be <laughs> because all those demands have been taken away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's not to say that it's an easy answer, but I think there'll be a lot more homeschooled children after this than there were previously. I yeah. think those numbers are going to skyrocket because people are realizing that it's more important to have positive, good mental health than it is to have academic achievement. And, you know, it's, it should always come first. And it, it's and I think a lot of parents are waking up to that now that the world doesn't have to be how we're told it has to be. Yeah, yeah, and that's all. That's that's always been the sort of fundamental problem, hasn't it? Yeah, we we just you know follow often follow blindly the mm. social rules that have been laid out, yeah. social expectations that have been laid out, and really, when you think about it critically, they're not necessarily the most healthy, are they? Especially no. for mental health. I mean, the point, the example you make about uh, children being uh, homeschooled and, and how that was previously frowned upon, right? That was something yeah. stigmatized previously. Mm-hmm. But now everybody's doing it. And yeah. it, it's now, agree, yeah. uh-huh. oh, hang on a minute, it works. You know, we can, uh-huh. it can happen. 
you know, you can set these things up, Google Classroom and, you know, online PE mm -hmm. sessions and, you know, and it's just, why? Why should it be that one, one day it was stigmatized and the next day it's suddenly, it's okay, actually, it can work. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's not, that's not right, is it? No. It shouldn't, shouldn't take a situation like this to destigmatize something. You no, know, two hosts, as you said previously, when things begin to, you know, uh, go back or, or enter a new, into the new world, uh, that, you know, we can continue to reflect and, and not go back to the, the previous view of homeschooling. Yeah. Uh, and also, as you say, prioritizing academic aptitude over, of, over everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's kind of, it's the same, I mean, the disability community has been crying at the irony at the minute of you know for decades and decades and decades we've been asking if we can homework and now all of and it was always an issue it was always a problem there was always a reason that we couldn't do it and now all of a sudden everybody can you know it takes something to say it shows how easily it can be done if you want to achieve something and and you know i wouldn't recommend pushing the button and switching off all the factories in the world and things like that but you've only got to look at the pollution levels how they've plummeted you know, there's reports of the, the barrier reefs coming back and, you know, the pollution levels in China have just dropped through the floor. India, Paris, all of the, all of the big cities and things that had pollution clouds that you could see from space. Now you can't see those things. And it shows what a negative impact we have when we go through this social conditioning. And we kind of we come out the other side of that thinking that we have to do things in certain ways. And and, you know, it always comes back to not to get political, but it really does always come back to a, a conversation about capitalism and about how capitalism has influenced our lives and to say that we have to have three square meals a day, you know, which impacts on people who are restricted eaters and want to graze all day. And, you know, all of these kind of little things in our lives are dictated by the world of employment and working nine till five and all of these kind of things, office jobs and factory jobs and all of the kind of menial, th menial and inverted commas, all of these jobs that are now suddenly being recognized as incredibly important. Mm. And the, the actual things that make the world go around, but it's all had a very negative influence on us. And it has to change. It really does now. I, I think it genuinely does. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agree. Fully agree. Um, just, just to add to your point before we move on to this question, I'd say the same thing goes with, with our, with just mental health generally. Mm. Again, previously we weren't really talking that, I mean, we were trying, you know, things are getting better, but in a generic sense, we weren't ever really talking about mental health, about anxiety, about coping, about resilience. But now that all of that is in the spotlight, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I hope that also continues that we, as we go, go forwards, um, continue to think about, you know, how we can be looking after our own well-being and prioritizing that. Um, OK, we have Katie McMaster here. Um, I'll, read, I'll read it out. She says, I just hope that when this crisis is over, people don't forget how it felt. We've been isolating, in inverted commas, for over a year as my son can't cope with normal life at the moment. I'm hoping that others will develop at least some understanding of our life after this. And, and that really reflects what, you was, what you've been saying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's... 
People need to see things from a different perspective. I think that's really what's been missing from society for quite a long time. Everyone's too busy looking inwards and not looking outwards. Um, And we have so much to learn from each other and from people who live their lives very differently from us and have different values and have different things imposed on us that we don't necessarily, barriers that we don't necessarily have. Um, and there's great, again, there's great opportunity here and it would be a, an enormous shame. And I think a step back for us as a, as a species, if we didn't learn less, real lessons from this and we didn't start listening to the kind of the weaker people in our society and those who are underprivileged. What needs to happen to make sure that we do seize the opportunities? You know what I mean, like what, I mean, what's, what do we need to try and push? What, what, any thoughts on how we can make sure... Or, or try and increase the likelihood that that we do progress and this doesn't just fall back, fall away. Because it is so critical, isn't it, that we yeah. we heed heed the lessons and that we put we use this as a platform for moving forward. You know I think um I think we've been very, very good at kind of plucking random people off the street and asking them to talk about themselves and their communities. But I think we need to listen to the voices of various communities. Um, and particularly those that are kind of deemed the weaker areas of, of, of humanity, kind of the disability community, ethnic minorities, all you know, all the people that have been the poor, all the people that have been underprivileged for so long. This is showing us how important those underprivileged people are, and that actually, you know, the privileged people have been kind of leeching off the back of them for quite some time. And I think that's the bit that kind of needs to change. It's that that we need equity. It's not about equality. Equality has been kind of clouding the issue for a very, very long time. Equality, you can't have equality, but equity is fundamental to this. Mm. And I think it's up to people who are privileged and lucky enough to have a voice, people like me, people like you guys who have a platform to keep those voices in the spotlight and to keep these people in the spotlight to make sure that they're not forgotten, they're not lost amongst this. I think, you know, and, and it's kind of... It's very easy to say, right, to your MP and do this and do that. But if people are doing it very singly, it's quite ineffectual. So this is where communities really need to come together and be one voice. You know, you have disagreements amongst that. Of course you will. It's natural. But generally, there needs to be a a singular narrative running through the ideals of each community and the values of those. And, you know, if people can come together and kind of shout them very, very loudly and not accept the things that have gone before... You know, the social conditioning that we talked about, you know, not just falling back into our old habits and our old lives, but actually actually kind of standing up and saying, no, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to put up with this. It needs to change. So those with a voice, with, with a, you know, some, some opportunity to really push the narrative, but also find consensus um, and, you know, push it together as one rather yeah. than fragmented. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, fully agree. Let's let's try and do that. <laughs> mm. um, it's uh, yeah. So, uh, how you doing, Daryl? How's Daryl doing, James? Is he all right? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Thanks. Yeah. Is he coping all right today? He's very easy going. I'm I'm very lucky. Um, so, as long as he's got me, he's happy. You know. That's the most important thing. Uh, okay, so we have another question here, or another statement, another comment, Liz. Sopa, um, not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Apologies, Liz. You are, I know, Liz. I know her. Oh, right. Um, she says, It is happening. I've had, 
I've had to have, I have had to homeschool my autistic son for 14 months due to the double discrimination and a drawn out EHCP experience. Kieran would know. Uh, now we are able to help our Sen community friends and other friends that are struggling to adapt or cope with the idea of school learning at home. Lesson one, both our mental health first and our child mental health first and connection parent from the heart. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right. Lesson one should indeed be our mental health and our child mental health. And I think the two for sure go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, if your mental health as a parent um, is, 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 is okay and, and you're, you're, you're feeling well and, and you're coping and you're, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're able to sort of, you know, um, you know, push through and do things, then of course, and you're better able to support uh, your child. And then of course, uh, the mental health, follow, the child's mental health follows, doesn't it? It's, it's, everything's very much interconnected, I think. Yeah. Um, which again, really emphasizes how important everyone's mental health is because mm -hmm. the two are connect, uh, totally interconnected. I'm glad you say it's lesson one because I do think I mean, schools, uh, Kieran, I don't know what you think, but schools so far, really, in my experience, doesn't seem like we prioritize mental health enough no. do we, in school. No. Not, I mean, it's not on the curriculum really in a formalized way. It should be. It should be right up there yeah. with, you know, all the STEM subjects and, you know, English and maths yeah. and all of the other courses. And I understand why health isn't really, or mental health. I know we have PE, don't we? But that's very, that's very different to... That's, yeah, that, it's not, that's, for people that don't like PE, it's not very good for mental health. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, you're right. It's kind of the, the, ed the education. I mean, I used to be an educator. I was a high-level teaching assistant for a very, very long time. Um, up until about kind of 10 years ago and um, one of the reasons that I left was because I didn't like the way that the education system was going and it had been going that way for a very long time it's kind of when I do any talks to kind of teachers or educational bodies or anything like that it's kind of I talk about the noose of the education system that's gradually tightened over time um, because it's all become about teaching to tests academic achievement teachers aren't teachers anymore there's there's very little ability to be a holistic teacher like they used to be um it's very much not about subjects it's about grades um and even you know it really really upset me when all of this kind of started when they were first talking about lockdown and they decided to close the schools on the news up here um they had some uh, 10 and 11 year olds who were about to sit their sats who were crying on the news because they had worked so hard for their SACS exams. And I thought, that's all wrong. That's so wrong because those SACS exams aren't for those children. They're for school league tables, for starters. Mm. Um, you know, it's for the school. It's not for the child. It's not, a, it's not a measure of how well the child is doing. It's a measure of how well the school is achieving academically. So for any child to be so invested in an exam that's not even for them or about them, it's fundamentally that that's that's the education system broken right there that's it gone um you know and that's the mentality that we have it's kind of i don't you know what we said before about in it's kind of you can have all the degrees in the world but if your mental health is so poor that you are going to be self-harming or you're going to be depressed or you're going to do something worse 
what's the point of having all those degrees? It's mm. utterly irrelevant. And, you know, I'm at the age of 40 now. It's taken me probably until I was 36 to realize what I want to do in my life, which is what I'm doing right now. I don't need any academic achievements in order to be able to do what I do. I don't, you know, I have, I'm lucky I've got an English, English and master's GCSEs and I have my GCSEs, but I wouldn't be able to tell you what my GCSE results were. I wouldn't be able to tell you what my A-level results were. I had to go back and sit them three years later because I couldn't cope with college. So, you know, it's we are learning all the time. So many people are stopping their lives in their 30s and 40s and 50s and going to university and going back to college and reevaluating all their selves. So we learn our whole lives, but everything at the moment is compressed between the ages of 16 and 21. And we are told that if we fail during that period, that's our whole lives ruined. Yeah. And it isn't the case at all. It's so Not wrong. You know, it's we it this and it comes back to that thing again about looking at the people who are less privileged, who are the ones who are really being pressured by this system. And actually how we have now people like Liz, someone who was isolated, someone who was pushed out of her her part of society in terms of her children's education and all of that and has now become a leader. Mm. so what does that say it actually says that the weakest of us are the strongest of us and if, if we work to the strengths of our weakest people actually it makes everybody stronger and better and that isn't necessarily about getting gcse's or a levels or degrees or or whatever you know it's but mental health is fundamental to every human being on this planet if we have poor mental health we are not going to learn we're not going to work we are not going to provide for our families none of that is going to happen and the longer it goes on the harder it's going to be to claw it back. So if you start from the very beginning, start when children start being educated at nursery, preschool, and you have those conversations about mental health, about positivity, about finding strengths in weakness and all of those kind of things, and you embed it in children as they grow older, it's going to be there fundamentally their whole lives. But we don't do that at all. We just, we worry about what exams are going, you know, we worry about where they're going to university when they're four. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we're league table obsessed. Yeah. We're social, let's socially structure and, and create hierarchies and mm-hmm. rankings and, and layers, social layers, mm-hmm. so that we know we can manage economies better. I mean, we're, I mean, it's just our priorities are all wrong, aren't they? Yeah, it's all it's all money driven, and that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to just sort of. Uh, go back to what Liz said for a second, just to point out, I mean, she says that she's now able to help her SEN community and friend, friend, community friends and other friends that are struggling to adapt or cope with the idea of school learning. And, and obviously that's great. But I think that just highlights one other thing, which is great for mental health generally, which is, you know, helping others, you know, that's sort of supporting others. Yeah. You know, as you were saying, Kieran, if you can find your strengths, uh, and and even when you've sort of been beaten down with that negativity stick and uh, and everything else through you know through life, um, if you know if if we're able to find you know our strength and our 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 footing and our place and we can find we can help others, then that's one of the best things for mental health. Yeah. I mean, when you're helping other people and you you feel that you're making a positive difference, I mean that is tremendous. So. It, is, it is. And it's kind of anybody that tells you that they're completely altruistic is a liar because helping other people is transactional because it makes you feel better about yourself. Yeah, yeah, totally. um, <laughs> and, it, it, you know, whether you are doing that for money or whether you're doing that for the bars or whatever you're doing it for, it's transactional. So you are getting something out of it. And it's at a time like this, supporting other people is I mean, that's that's 
my my business has dropped off a cliff edge since this started. I've got I've lost all my income for the next three months, four months, probably going forward. You know, I had I was supposed to be doing a tour with Christy Forbes of Australia at the end of the year. That's now not happening because obviously you know flights and all of those kind of things. So so, but instead of panicking about my income, what I've done is look. The government is helping in various different ways. Maybe not as much as they could, but it's something. I know some people are not getting anything, so I'm very lucky in what I've got. So I'm taking what I'm doing and and helping as many people as I I've gone back to my roots. You know, I used to do this full time for nothing, and now I've gone back to doing it full time for nothing again because there are so many people out there that need me and need my advice and need my support. And I'm in a position where I can give that. So why wouldn't I? It's we need again. It, again, it comes back to we're very much need to re-establish communities and reconnect with our communities and, and this is a really really opportune time to do that yeah when are you going into politics uh kieran so, <laughs> yeah, much needed. No, no not happening what this is my problem there are there are kind of i mean in terms of autism there are many many platforms in this country who i won't speak on um, you know, there are conferences that I won't I won't go and talk to. I've been asked to, but I won't. Um, and it's about I don't want to become part of the system that's suppressing us. Um, and I, I would rather be on the outside shouting very loudly than be on the inside and being paid and getting comfortable. I'd rather be uncomfortable and on the outside. Mm, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Talking of policies and politics, I wanted to ask you. Uh, you're getting a lot of um, support for that statement there. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to ask you, talking of policies, did you see the the um, absolutely terrible thing, uh, terrible policy that NICE were uh, recommending about frailty and people yep. with learning disabilities? Um, James and I have talked about it. And we're just, I mean, it is an absolute horror show. It's just awful. I mean, I know... Obviously, we all know, well, we know inside the community that autism and learning disabilities and the whole disability community is very stigmatized and discriminated yeah. against. We know that. But this is taking it to an extreme that I hoped I would never see. Mm-hmm. Now, to suggest that if you have a learning disability, um, you should be rated higher on the frailty measure, yeah. the frailty score, and thus be deprioritized to receive you know, um, intensive care compared to somebody mm-hmm. else. Um, I mean, that just <clears throat> really sad. It really, you know, it breaks my heart. Yeah. You know, and, and it's incredible. I know they've retracted it and and they've apologised. But even, even sort of thought that that was a good idea. Yeah, but um, e- even um, though they retracted it, um, it's come um, out um, this week that several uh, GPs practices have been giving uh, that line, you know, they've been saying to, to families, um, oh, your your family member will never be considered for, yeah. you know. That's traumatising. For hospitals yeah. or anything, you know. There was, um, there was an article on the BBC today, today or yesterday, um, about uh, GP practices that had told various community groups that to make sure that they had DNRs in place. So it's even though they've retracted it, I mean, I don't even, to be honest, 
I don't even think if Nice had put it into the guidelines and, you know, if they'd not even thought about it, I think that's that mentality still would have been there. I think it still would have come out because because we are stigmatised. We are seen as less than and we're dehumanised all the time. Um, and it, it goes to show that kind of, you know, there's two sides. We were talking so positively about the medical community and the NHS at the beginning. And then it flips around to this, which is where we are we're less valued as people. We're not seen as fully human to some degrees. And I wrote um, an article recently with uh, a friend of mine who um, she's, uh, she's, she's got a master's in ethics and currently she's doing her, um, she's becoming a neurologist. And she was talking about the papers that they have to, the papers they have to study, the research papers they have to look at and the language that she used. And there was a debate amongst her tutors openly in front of the students about what makes a human human. And, Basically, they decided that if you lacked theory of mind, you weren't fully human. No. Yes, and this, 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 and this was this was happening at UCL. Um, so, <laughs> you know, so I'll send you, the, I'll send you the link to the article, Chris, afterwards. But you know, but that this mentality is still embedded in our medical communities, in our political communities, and and if you think the the I'm not your charity, obviously, but the larger charities, the charity model, which is all about. Um, this recurrent negative narrative because that's what keeps the money coming through. You know, charity, big charities aren't charities anymore. They're businesses and they're businesses that need money to perpetuate. And any, any charity's goal should be to do itself out of business. That should be any charity's goal. But the big charities aren't like that. They're there to self-perpetuate. So they reinforce, you know, they put a few positive things in and a bit of inspiration porn and all of this kind of stuff. But ultimately it's about let's keep it negative. Let's not make too much change because if we make too much change, they don't need us anymore. And, you know, so all of that is just re and then they're the people that advise politicians and the medical people advise politicians. And so it's just, it's this constant cycle of negativity. Sorry, I would like supposed to be positively inspiring people and it is. It's really tough. I mean, the, 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 the nice the nice thing, though, as James was saying, it's, it really did mm. have, you know, a, an effect, even though they retracted it. They sent, you know, many, many. I mean, those are just the GP surgeries that we've heard about. Yeah. Sent those letters out, DNRs and uh, all the rest of it. You know, it's probably far more large scale than, than and, and it possibly may have actually been implemented clinically as well. Yeah, many many instances. So I imagine it would be. I mean, at the minute when we're looking at numbers, you know, when when they're, they're talking about rates of people that have died or people that have contracted, all they're talking about is people in hospitals that have been tested before they have died. They're not looking at care homes. They're not looking at communities. Uh, you know, they're they're not measuring those people because for whatever reason, I don't know why. But you know, there was a report last night um, about. Uh, the number of care homes where people are getting sick and it's not, they're not getting the support they need and the care workers aren't getting the support they need. And so those decisions to a degree are already being made. And it, it is always the weaker and poorer aspects of society that pay the most, that pay the worst toll in anything like this. It's, and again, it comes back to those hierarchies again um, in terms of the people that are in charge, have the power, have the money, whatever, you know, they're the people that are going to self-protect yeah. And, and they're going to self-protect each other before it comes down to the, because, you know, we're not, because it's that equity thing again, there is no equity and um, yeah. it's not an even playing field. It's, you know, and people are talking about this being a great leveler and it isn't a great leveler at all because we're seeing the the black community is playing a bigger price than anyone. Yeah. Um, 
um, especially in the States, but also here, you know, the disabled community, the elderly, it's the vulnerable people, the people who are pushed to the edges of society, are the ones that are paying the biggest price for this. And, and the nice stuff is just, you know, it, the worst thing is it didn't shock me. That is, that is shocking in itself. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad in itself, but, but, uh, you know, it, it makes sense. It makes sense. Totally. Well, I think I think it goes back to um, what I was saying about the uh, the training that's needed for the NHS. Um, even you're supposed to go to your GP to get an autism diagnosis when you know uh, if you're an adult that thinks you know this makes suddenly makes sense to you. you like it did to me um i just had a, a very sort of hard time with my gp because they're not they haven't got the experience they don't understand autism in adults all they understand is seeing a child that's very distressed at being in in front of a gp and that's what they think autism is and looks like yeah when they're confronted with an an adult that's not doing you know that's not in distress <laughs> you know, um, I mean, we need a they, they, you know, they, they just don't know, they haven't got, they've got the experience. And I think this, we need to sort of seize the opportunity after this crisis calms down to get that training in, in place. And I think, um, our strengths, what, whatever academic, whatever, whatever academic level or whatever, autistic people have that lived experience, you know, um, and we can all play a part in educating and training, putting in place some kind of training uh, program. I think it, I think, oh, sorry, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think with regards to the NHS, the mandatory training, um, I hate to be a kind of Debbie Downer, um, but I'm involved in a, a kind of uh, a group that's going that's that's going ahead to kind of like access to training and stuff and we've seen what they're asking and for the time scales that they're asking for those things to be delivered in um the amount of competencies that they're looking for the amount of things that they want into the training um the fact that they've rammed ld and autism into the same very minimal training is it's to be honest I don't think it's going to have the impact that a lot of people are hoping it's going to have. I, don't, I think it's going to barely scratch the surface, to be perfectly honest. And it's, we were very kind of right from the very beginning, you know, and, and hats off to Paula McGowan, who's done an amazing job to get this as far as she has. Absolutely yeah. incredible. But we've kind of had, I've had conversations with her and her kind of people and so many other people have about engaging with the autistic community from day one and not letting the charities have their input into it and not letting it become a political football. And I think it has become a bit of a political football, you know, to a degree, you can't ever stop that because it's, it's going to happen. But I, I would love to eat my words and I will happily eat my words because if this turns out to be something incredible, then, you know, I'll, I'll happily admit that I was absolutely wrong, but I very much doubt it's going to have the impact that people want it to have, which is such a shame as well, because it was such a huge opportunity. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't think um, this organisation, Neurodiverse Nurses, is going away. You no. know, they're, they're only going to grow, and I, th I think yeah. they're going to continue their campaigning. So, you know, if, if one lot of training isn't enough, then we'll, we'll campaign for another lot and another lot and another yeah. lot. You know, 
So maybe it's just the beginning of something. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they're, they're setting up, a, from what we heard, uh, we're bringing out the podcast episode that we did. Uh, it'll be available sometime in May, and you'll be able to access it then and see what mm-hmm. this, this guy was amazing that we spoke to. Um hero this guy is. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I just uh, want to get behind this because um, they're setting up a website where – they're talking about some amazing stuff on there and that um, everyone from the community can play their part and Incredible. Uh, contribute, you know, so um, I'm the, hoping for big things. The key difference though, is that, you know, he, he's really leading it, you know, he's driving, it. you know, he's, he's got that lived experience, you know, if it's not political, it's, it's about social change, you know, for, for the right reason. Whereas it sounds to me like, in the in the case of the mandatory autism training, that it's being perhaps you know driven by and led by those that haven't got the right hats on, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and maybe haven't really been properly talking with the autistic and being led by the autistic community. I think. Yeah, and I mean, I know um, the National Autistic Task Force have fought tooth and nail to kind of had some influence over it and actually when you read through the competencies you can see where they've had influence over it which is really really good but again I think it comes back to there being too many people with too many different agendas um that have really kind of influenced it but groups like the neurodiverse nurses uh, the nurses and stuff like that these grassroots organizations this is yeah. where it's going to you're going to see the real change exactly where the real lobbying happens because that's people on the ground that's yeah. people who know what they need and that's people who if they can come together with a strong enough voice are going to fundamentally make real changes and that's so i can only ever support that exactly yeah uh we have a comment here from sarah lawler uh she says sadly it shows just how just just how poor society's understanding is of autism less serious but no less offensive was the dvla debacle a few months back i really do hope the current situation can be leveraged to improve people's understanding of how we live routinely but we need to be making people aware that what they're experiencing now is a little of what we experience day in day out as you said um, Kieran, but yeah, I mean the DVLA debacle as well was was another <laughs> a debacle. Um, obviously, yeah, isn't it? It is a little less serious than what Nice was suggesting, but it reflects again that total misunderstanding, social stigma, discrimination, uh, and all the issues that we're talking about. Really, it's all part of the same narrative, and it's, it's interesting actually because that was the GMC that were advising the DVLA as well, the, the General Medical Council. So, so it, you know, it's kind of that you would think the people that would understand this the most actually understand the the, the, the issues the least. And it, it's, you know, we've had this narrative that you know it jumps back to the 1940s. We're still talking about the same things that Asperger and Canner were talking about. And we have moved, the community has moved on so far from that. Mm. Research has been left running to catch up with us and is constantly running to catch up with us. Um, and I think it's all fundamental to the fact that the wrong people are, are making the wrong decisions about us. It's, you know, we have very little influence over our lives. Um, you know, not our day-to-day lives, but the general decisions that are made about us, policy changes, things like that. And it's, 
Usually it's very small pockets of tokenistic people that are brought together to, in, to, to have input on those decisions. And usually it's kind of um, a prescribed kind of choose between this choice and this choice. Which one do you prefer? Yeah. Without actually the conversations that need to happen. And yeah. it's, it's just, it's all, it's all led from the front rather than from the back. And it, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, fully agree. And it creates harms, actually, doesn't it? It does, it does. Yeah. Sarge has added, it's also, is it, is it also uh, about autistic adults knowing they're autistic and feeling safe and empowered to be open about it to educate people with, from within? I think that's a really good point as well, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's... Um, one of the things that I kind of talk, sorry, I've moved my camera and chopped my face off now. Um, so one of the things that I kind of talk about all the time is not only the importance of introspection, but the importance of outrospection. So if you consider that autistic children, autistic adults have traditionally been kept apart from each other because, you know, people didn't want us to learn to become more autistic. Um, that's traditionally what's kind of happened. We've been separated and, and kept away from each other. But actually when the study in Edinburgh, the diversity and social intelligence study that um, Sue Fletcher Watson ran out of Edinburgh, um, has kind of reinforced again what the community has been talking about for so long in that autistic people communicate brilliantly and really, really effectively if you don't put non-autistic people in the mix to confuse the issue, you know, and that that's, that's the thing, but it's always been assumed that because communication between the autistic and the non-autistic has broken down, that it's the autistic person's fault because the non-autistic people are in the majority. So if you start looking at it through that lens, actually things need to change fundamentally because we are efficient communicators. We do it in our own way. We are effective at doing things that we need to do because we do it in our own way. And when we try to do it like other people or when other people impinge their values on us, that's when the systems start to break down. So what Sarah said there is absolutely perfect because feeling safe and empowered comes from acceptance. And you can't accept yourself if you don't understand the narrative which holds us back, if you don't understand autism, because nobody teaches autistic people about autism. Um, you know, everybody else gets training apart from the autistic people. Even if that training is rubbish, everybody still gets it. You know, and if we are not able to see this narrative which is which has been given to us and that we take on for ourselves then we're never we're never going to be able to have a strong enough voice and that's 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 the principle that i kind of come from challenging that narrative every single day and making people see that absolutely absolutely perfectly put i mean i can't add anything to that that's beautifully put mate uh james any you want to add to that or um yeah i mean we could this this is was I don't want to get us off track, but um, yeah, I I think we could have conversations for days about yeah what we would change about how diagnosis is done and all kinds of things, you know. Um, maybe that's for another time, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure, but I was, yeah, fully agree with everything. Um, uh, uh, Kieran was saying. I've got a couple more comments, and then maybe we'll uh, close up soon. Because um, obviously it's been talking for about an hour and <laughs> we're, we're wow, gone quick. Kieran, yeah, it's gone so quick. Uh, Nick King says, for some places or spaces, it will only ever be a tick box exercise until the majority do it properly rather than the minority. Then they can be held to account. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think that. 
see it kind of you could look at you could look at all of this and say we've gone off track from the main thrust of what our conversation was supposed to be which is about mental health but actually all of this is part of our mental health yeah. because you know what nick said there is, is is perfect because until people take us seriously and value us as people and see us as kind of you know people who are capable of providing to society and are capable of achieving, but we need to do things our way until people see that our mental health is always going to be poor because if we aren't valued, we're not ever going to be able to value ourselves properly. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and then it really does come to that. It's kind of, I don't, it's not necessarily about holding people to account, but it, it's about making people see that what they're doing is harmful and it's not just harming one person, it's harming swathes of communities. Um, and even because of the narrative that kind of so many, all, I mean, I, I see autistic people talking so derogatorily about themselves every single day. And it's their understanding that autism has made them feel like that, when in actual fact, it's not. It's society's narrative of autism that's made them feel like that. And it's the lack of supports that aren't, the, you know, the supports that aren't there because of that narrative that have made them feel like that. And the lack of understanding and the lack of acceptance and the constant need for them to be like everybody else because they're told that they have to be. All of these things like play into this central mental health narrative, which is, you know, and they, they keep throwing money at different things and support groups and post-diagnostic groups. And but actually what we need is social change. That's the only thing that's really going to fundamentally going to change everything, and I think I think that's what what Nick's really talking about there is that that changing of that ideology around the whole thing. Yeah, uh, fully agree. I mean, it, 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 it's that as you say that narrative which is connected to which creates stigma, you know, yeah. social stigma, and then social. One of the main consequences. I mean, there's many terrible consequences of social stigma, but one of the most poisonous for mental health is when people internalize that stigma. So those that uh, those are being targeted by the stigma, then, you know, believe it, they don't, they don't reject it, they believe it, and they internalize it, and they apply it to themselves, and then they, their, their mental health yeah. declines, and that's real poisons. And there is quite a bit of research that shows that, um, you know, internalized stigma really is one of the worst things for mental health uh, when you really sort of you know don't know anything other than what you know what you've been told yeah what you've been told yeah, yeah. you know so so you sort of just go with the narrative mm-hmm. um and that's and as you said kieran it's only when we start to change that narrative and and reduce that stigma can that then really be um uh, uh, can that really go away but of course, then you've also got some tools that you can use to to uh, pre- prevent yourself from uh, internally stigmatizing yourself. But the best way is just to change the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then we've got a couple more comments. Okay, this one's for us, James. Uh, how, hello, what? This is Natalie Morrow. Hello, what does the London Autism Group charity do? And do you think more business needs? to be autistic trained and what are your thoughts on how autism is looked at in the media like tv shows and movies okay all right we have to talk about this all day (laughs) that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation that one isn't it (laughs) questions great great questions um so i'll summarize the first bit about what the charity does so uh james and i founded the charity a couple of years ago Um, we're still a small charity uh, we we originally uh, uh, produced the London Autism Group, which is a 
a Facebook-based support group, which has done really, really well. But we're very, uh, you know, obviously neuro, we, we've, we're fully on board with all of the neurodiversity principles. We're, you know, very, very, um, you know, uh, autistic-led, and we're all about that. And the Facebook group has been, as a consequence, highly successful, but we wanted to go further because the Facebook group's great, but it's just a Facebook group. So we wanted to uh, uh, build something on top of that, produce a charity in which we could then have the leverage to create, as you know, what Kieran's talking about, more change the social narrative, reduce autism stigma and discrimination, improve uh, autistic people's mental health and also parents and carers of autistic people, their mental health and also autistic parents and carers, because <laughs> of course everybody can be autistic. Um, so it's about improving. So what we do is we do things like this, the live stream, we have the Facebook group. We also have something called the Autism Podcast in which we interview people and have interesting conversations because we really believe in the idea that discourse is a good, strong way of, of really uh, triggering social, social change and, and uh, improving uh, you know, understanding and, and all the rest of it. So we have the podcast, the group, we do these live streams. We've also got a couple of initiatives that we're about to launch to support the mental health of the uh, wider uh, community, autism community, you know, in the wider sense uh, as well. So we're small, but we're building. Uh, anything you want to add to that, James? If I left anything out? Uh, do you want to talk about Solace? Oh, yes, of course, Solace, yes. Okay, Solace is something that um, is, is, is a, 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 a mental health intervention for parents and carers of recently diagnosed autistic children. Um, and the idea is that, so, so it's something that I developed at my university, I'm a university academic. And the idea is that um, if we can um, teach, well not teach, but really guide parents and carers who are new into this whole world, about actually the beauty in autism mm -hmm. and the beauty in neurodiversity and, and actually get them right from the beginning to reject misconceptions, stereotypes, autism stigma. Actually what will happen is that their mental health will be improved, their hope and empowerment will be improved, and then in turn, their ability to care and parent and, and protect their, their child and advocate for their child will improve. So the idea is that we 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 uh, uh, do this. It, it, this is the sort of principle, the point of, of Solis. This is the sort of underlying theory, because you know stigma really does, as we've been talking about, really does compound mental health. So if you can resist the st stigma and replace it with more healthier, more appropriate, more correct ways of thinking, then better mental health follows. So it's really for for new parents and carers, and we've been running that in um, in North London, but we, we're about to expand in other areas of London uh, to do that. And, and the main aim is really to, to boost parent and care of mental health right at the beginning. Because that beginning juncture, when you're really new into it, is when you're really most vulnerable yeah. to misconceptions and your, your mental health is really poor. So, I mean, obviously there are many points where you're vulnerable, but that early entry point is something that we're, we're focusing on. So we've been doing that to group-based uh, uh, psychosocial intervention. And as I said, the principles are that, but also we, we want to 
uh, use it as a platform for building social support because of obviously isolation and loneliness is another another big thing. Uh, so it's about actually bringing people that are in a shared, in, you know, identify with each other's situation that live locally to each other, wouldn't have known each other, and then building this positive journey together. And, and it's been really successful so far. We're, we're, we're pretty proud of it. Um, obviously, COVID-19 has, has changed things quite a bit, and we've had to delay our next run of it. We're going to run it in September. Again, we're hoping September, October, once this is... Uh, uh, you know, once the situation's improved, so we do that as well. Sounds brilliant. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Kieran. <laughs> it's, not too bad. it's not too bad. I'm pretty proud of it. Pretty proud of it. Yeah. Um, and it's a, and very quickly. Do you think more businesses need to be autistic trained? And what are your thoughts on how autism looks like in the media? I, I would say businesses definitely aren't neurodiverse friendly enough. They're not leveraging. Um, autistic potential um you know i just think you know uh, the things that we've been talking about today can should be in the business sphere as well but one of the big problems is that because of the stigma people don't feel like they want to disclose their identity and therefore you know it's hidden and businesses may not know uh, that you know the situation is happening and how to support so that's a problem, but that's because of the stigma and the internalized stigma as we talked about before. So there's a lot, I think there's a lot of work to be done in that, yeah. in that area. And, and I think if, if it can be improved, you're going to see business, businesses do much better, um, society benefit and everyone's well-being benefit as a consequence. But there's loads more to do on that front. Would you agree, guys? Yeah, I think Kieran's done a lot of work um, with that avenue, with consultancy and things like that. Yeah. yeah um i mean a lot of a lot of my focus has been on uh organizations that actually run autism services okay. um um so i have i've done some work with kind of hr companies and stuff like that but it, it's kind of it's ironic really that even those organizations that run autism services are really really poor at understanding autism yeah. um, it's uh, as employers they're not they're not great and it's and bizarrely as you guys will probably know kind of anecdotally lots of undiagnosed autistic people are drawn to autism support services as jobs and, and being in those kind of caring roles um, and supporting roles and it's really interesting the fact that so many organizations don't know how many autistic people they actually have on their workforce and kind of how many people are struggling on their workforce as well it's it's counterintuitive to a business model as well which really doesn't make sense to me because you know if you've got workers that aren't happy they're not going to be as productive so it, it pays to kind of invest in them and morale is everything absolutely yeah yeah um and just very very briefly how uh, any thoughts on how autism is in the media portrayed in the media <clears throat> TV shows? Any, any thoughts, <laughs> <Very> um, <clears throat> I think uh, <laughs> this 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 video is an advert for what's wrong with autism in the media, um, because we are three. Well, you know, me and James are, are two white guys. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, are you Cypriot? Separate, yeah. yeah yeah you are so so kind of me, me and me and james are terrible for this because we are the stereotypes um you know it's white boys and any any kind of film about autism or tv program about autism you either have genius white children or you have the kind of you know the dustin hoffman kind of rayman kind of who wasn't even autistic but will not go there um 
or or it's the kind of rocking screaming child in the corner there's no middle ground there's no women there's no non-binary people there's no people who present atypically you know it's all very much fundamentally the the typical white boy yeah it is it's stereotypes and it's we need more programs where there are multiple open autistic characters and that 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 would be a real game changer if it was people from different backgrounds and, and that kind of thing that would be a huge thing I think the media actually have a huge role to play in yeah. our mission of improving social narratives. Uh, you know, they've got a big responsibility, mm. and, uh, a huge role, and I, I'd love it if they were more connected with autistic voices and, and really listening and understanding and, and also bringing them in as well, you know, into their teams. It's, it's quite ironic because you think the number of... Um characters that you get like the discussions happen like this all the time and like the the on social media amongst the autistic community like which people from which programs are autistic but they're not openly autistic or they're not diagnosed and and so many lead characters from like major programs fit autistic tropes you know so it's kind of it's almost like they're writing about us but they don't know that they're writing about us Mm -hmm. so there are positive representations of autistic people in the media but they're not deliberate and that's the worst. So you look at the Big Bang Theory. I mean, it's obviously Sheldon Cooper is the is the autistic one in that in that program. But actually, half that cast are auti- representations of autistic characters. They're just undiagnosed and unrecognized. So it, it's kind of, but they're not the ones that are talked about. So it, it's kind of it's those it's the atypical people that need to be recognized, and obviously the women, and obviously non-binary people, and people of color, and all of those kind of things because we're everywhere and we're all people. We're not just some people from some pockets of, of communities, and it's that's what's missed. Yeah, I think there needs to be a lot more publicity about um, the uh, autistic cultural things that are being produced. Like um, there's a thing called Ought Act Theatre that produced um, a play called The <clears throat> Duck, yes, which is about um, a woman's adult woman's diagnosis. Uh, fantastic piece of, of theatre and um, they've recently uh, for the uh, lockdown period they've produced an audio recording that, that people can download. Uh, I'd highly recommend people go uh, to the uh, Autact uh, website and do that. But there's there's a lot of um, autistic culture that never gets uh, portrayed in the media that I think needs, you know, they could certainly do that um and that would do do a lot of the the job you know that, that we're talking about of educating and, and i think it's forward I, I think it's really ironic because it kind of um when actually the stuff with the nice guidelines came out some a very good friend of mine said to me so if um if they let all the autistic people die who fixes the internet when it breaks um <laughs> and you look around the world around us and so much of our world is dependent on at the very least neurodivergent um, creations and thinking out of the box thinking and ingenuity. And, you know, you look in art, you look in authors, media, film directors, very often film directors are very obvious. I'm thinking JJ Abrams here, you know, people who are not diagnosing anyone, but people who very obviously have autistic characteristics, but maybe don't recognize themselves or so our whole world is pivoted around neurodivergent and autistic culture, but it's never talked about. It's what James has just said. There's perfect because it's never, ever looked at. Spot on. Fully agree. 
Uh, thank you, Katie McMaster, for your lovely comment there. You guys talk so much sense. Fascinating talk. Thank you. We'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> um, Jane Green Edsel says, hello, psychosomatic stigma for physical health affects mental health. Uh, yes. So spot on correct. Everything is really connected. Um, I fully agree. Um, physical health and mental health are, are, are completely connected, of course. Um, when your physical health is, is, is poor, then that obviously has an impact on your men mental health. That can, will have a big impact on mental health, can't it? Um, and, and the whole mix between mental, you know, stigmatizing yourself, internalizing your stigma, you know, it all plays into a vicious cycle. So fully agree. Uh, Jane McCauley says, hello, I am frustrated I've missed, I missed this live. Sure, it's been brilliant. Uh, my little person has been struggling with his mental health and having gotten back up there has taken a massive downturn with the lockdown. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Jane. Um, any thoughts or any um, comments on that, guys? And then maybe we'll we'll wrap it up after that. I think it's um, it's difficult, probably more difficult for our children at the moment than it is for anybody. Um, you know, all of our routines have gone, all of our normality has gone. But for many of our children, the ones that, you know, are able to access education and things like that, they've been ripped away from their friends. They've been ripped away from even those that were unhappy in school. It was still a routine to a degree. So it's all been taken away. And now all of a sudden schools become the kitchen table or the dining room table and and, you know, they're not seeing their friends. They're not able to do the things that they would normally do. And it would be really, really easy right now to kind of withdraw and disengage from everything um, and, and lose yourself amongst, as a child, it will be really easy to do that, kind of just lose yourself in whatever it is that you want to do. And I think we have to take into account that, firstly, you know, like we've said all the way through this, education is not the most important thing at the moment. So taking all of those demands and all that pressure off, I mean, at the minute, I, you know, I write and talk a lot about autistic masking, autistic burnout. And at the minute, I am treating my three children like they are in autistic burnout. So I'm reducing all demands. Um, I'm letting them engage in sensorily with things that they need to do. Um, you know, I'm just letting them basically run free. We're coming together as a family. We're doing educational things in terms of gardening, um, you know, talking about what's going on in the news. And we're doing a lot of art together, a lot of drawing. My three kids all love drawing. So it's kind of I'm taking school out of the equation but keeping the educational value of stuff there yeah. and i think that's really key to kind of you know getting down on the floor with your children and doing with them what they want to do if they want to play on their tablet play on a tablet with them sit next to them talk about what they're doing engage with them in that way on their level and follow their interests and i think that's the real fundamental way we're only going to navigate through through the through this and that and I know that's very generalized because obviously I don't know the specific situation of what's going on with Jane's child but it's kind of as a general rule that's how we need to be as parents at the minute we need to be on the floor on the same level as our children and just following their lead right now because it, it's just it's too much it's it's too overwhelming for us as adults so what's it like for a child that really doesn't understand what's going on yeah fully fully agree uh, Jane, just try your. I would say just try your best. Um, uh, don't don't blame yourself at all. Um, look after your own well-being because, as, as we've been saying, your own well-being is going to really sort of 
connect with with your son's well-being and and as Kieran says I fully agree try and find what he loves find his passion get into his world and really prioritize his well-being and happiness and take any wins I would say take any wins you yeah. get reflect on those wins mm -hmm. and and uh, try and see um, see that see the positives uh, and the potential in the situation the opportunities uh, to learn more about your son about what yeah. works what doesn't work and have hope I think would be the last thing I would say you know don't, don't think that this is um, uh, just gonna you know completely defeat you you know believe that you've got this uh, and you can connect with the community as we said earlier get draw support from us you know and and you know we can beat this together and you're gonna be all right um, just lastly, um, sorry, Laurel Dubbridge says thank you. So thank you for that, Laurel. And then we've got quickly just Carol Rutherford just come in at the end of this and being taking my daily exercise. Just wanted to say that we're we that we're having a live chat two hours a day, Monday to Friday, to support the emotional well-being of autistic adults in Sunderland uh, and South Tyneside. We are being autism in aim in mind oh that's well, that sounds wonderful that's great i mean it's these kinds of chats you know everybody just the community sort of just supporting each other mm -hmm. you know putting emotional well-being first um that sounds really wonderful so thanks for advertising that and i hope your daily exercise was therapeutic <laughs> so um kieran just to say a big thank you is there anything else you'd like to add um i just i just want people to kind of reach out in whatever way they can to other people and not be alone in this i think that's it, it's we don't know how long it's going to go on for but we will come out the other side of this and we can come out the other side of this and i think it's really really key to remember that things might look different and that's scary but at the end of the day if we can kind of build on our community strengths and, and build on our contacts with other people now is the time to do it more than ever and that's going to help make things stronger in the future yeah fully fully agree fully agree uh james anything yeah i'd like to echo that really um i think there's a that's what as grim as it's seemed um we've seen people come together and we're all certainly going to make be here for people you know to reach out to um and um i think if we can we'll we'll all definitely come together and we'll all get through this together you know and that's and and going forward you know there's a lot of positive change that can come from this yeah when this does end i think we need to perhaps have a chat all of us and think about how we can push forwards in the ways that we've been describing yeah, yeah. I'd love to. okay so thanks again it's really been wonderful and uh you know take care of yourself kieran and your family and uh you too guys let us know if you ever need anything yeah definitely uh, yeah and uh yeah that's that's it from us so thanks again <laughs> take care thank you Bye. thank you kieran thank you